So glad you're here today. It is great to see your foreheads this morning. Glad you're with us. You know, Craig was talking about uh, some of those special folks of, who watch every week, and our audience, just like with many congregations, have expa- has expanded because of people around, literally around the world that watch, and we know we get a report not who is watching, but where they're from, and, but one of those people that has been watching for a long time is Joe Burton in Odessa, Jennifer Baxter's dad, and he's having a rough go of it, but he is in our prayers today, and we are thankful that they're watching today, I'm sure, and we're happy for all of you who are watching online as well as those of you who are in our audience this morning. Now, this morning, you have already seen the topic, probably, God's One Way to Handle Conflict, and if you didn't wear your steel-toed loafers today, you probably should have, and I probably should have worn mine, too, because this is one that gets us all. I mean, as far as I know, probably most people, if not everybody at one point or another, is guilty of what we're going to talk about today. And so don't think that you are the only one today. This is everybody. A theologian, Henry Nouwen, wrote that one of the main tasks of theology is to find words that do not divide but unite, that do not create conflict but unify, that do not hurt but heal. That the purpose of the study of God, the purpose of worshiping God, of being in Christ, is the idea of unity, of being unified, of being one, of helping people, of healing people, of, of working together as a community. Yet we live in an extremely divided world. If you were to Google how many Christian denominations are there in the world, it's kind of mind-boggling to me that nobody really knows. Some say that there may be as few as 9,000 Christian denominations, and the high number I've seen is 47,000, and it's all in how they decide, are they part of them or not part of them, or what are they? But if you were a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or of some other religious group, and you were thinking about being a Christian or considering Christianity, can you imagine how confusing that would be with all of the divisions that we have? Now, there are also divisions in other religious groups. I don't want you to think we're the only ones, but there are other divisions as well. In Churches of Christ, there are about 13,000 congregations of Churches of Christ in the United States. That is tremendous. That's exciting. We're thrilled. We want to have more. Except there's also one problem with that number. That I wish that all of those congregations had been planted because people love Jesus and just wanted to save souls in their neighborhood or community or wherever. But we all know that sometimes the reason that at least some of those congregations, many of those congregations, were planted was because somebody was mad at somebody somewhere else. And it wasn't about really about unity It was about we're packing up and going someplace else rather than here. So there is a lot of division in the world that we are well aware of. But we as Christians, as individual Christians as well as a body, want to be people who are united. People who do what God wants. And Jesus gave us a way to do that. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17... This is what Jesus says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now those are hard words. But I also want you to understand something. Jesus didn't say, let me suggest to you how to solve a problem. Jesus didn't say, this is a good idea. Jesus said, this is how you do it. That's strong. Because it puts all of us in a rough place sometimes. It puts all of us maybe in a place we don't like to be. But what are the steps of resolving a conflict from Matthew 18, 15 through 17? Talk to the other person alone. Talk to the other person alone. Boy, we live in such a weird age, don't we? You know, there are different ages that, that they call, like, for example, there was the nuclear age they talked about, and they talked about the space age. And I think that maybe this era we're in, someday they're going to call it the cranky age. Because folks are just cranky, aren't they? Everybody's cranky. People fight that don't know each other. I mean, they have these bots we know about online that are there in order to make us all upset. And maybe it's a foreign government or maybe it's our next door neighbor. Who knows? But just cranky is what folks are. We have an opinion about everything. We have an opinion about something I didn't have an opinion about five minutes ago, but I'm ready to go the mat over it. And we just argue, we fight, we get upset about everything. Nobody can have an opinion about anything without someone attacking these days. But here we go. If there is a sin, or if you see someone in sin, or feel you are sinned against, talk to the other person alone. It does not say, go tell the elders. It says, go to the person alone. And then it says, if that doesn't work, take another one or two or three with you. A small group with you. And if that still doesn't work, then take it to the church, or we might say at that point, take it to the elders. We might infer that there. But only at that point. Years ago, when I was just, I just graduated from college, and another friend of mine had graduated from college, and, you know, we get our diplomas, you know, the big shock and disappointment that started out in high school was you thought when you walked across the stage, they actually gave you the diploma, but all they give you, you know, is that little book thing that doesn't have any pages, you know, and so they mail you your diploma later, and so they, you know, they just had the diploma, and then they had some stickers with the name of the university on it that they put on some kind of little thing to gold embossed. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen them. And it seemed like they ought to go right in the middle of the diploma in the, in the bottom. And, and mine had, I was a semester ahead of this guy, mine had, and everybody else I knew had. But my friend, when he graduated, instead of putting this little embossed sticker right in the middle, they put it over on the side. And I have to admit, it was a little dorky looking the way it was. But oh, was he upset. You know what he did? He wrote a scathing letter to the president of the university to tell him he did not like his sticker on the side. It should be in the middle. 
Do you think the president cared about that? What he should have done is go back to the registrar's office and say, look, I got this. Is there any way you can move it over? Give me a new diploma, whatever, because I don't like it there. But instead, he goes straight to the top. Well, you know what the top does? The top has to send it back to somebody else because the top doesn't work with that. That isn't what they do. They have other responsibilities. And so when someone is in a conflict, we've got to go to them and then later take others and then finally take it on. You see, I have to care enough to confront. It does not mean that I care enough to talk about, but care enough to confront. Years ago, I went to a mentor, and I was upset about someone, and I said, somebody ought to go say something to them. Why don't you go say something to them? And he hands me a book called Caring Enough to Confront. <laughs> see, you, see you later, David. Read it, and then tell me how it went after you confront them. That's an old book, and there are probably better ones that have been written since, but it's good enough as, it was good enough for the moment, at least for me. Wow, so I have to care enough about the person that I'm not talking about them. Now, there may be a time that I do have to talk about them a little bit, because if I have two or three to go with me, there is something that has to be said, right? So we understand that there may be some healthy conversation, not gossip, not complaining, not griping, but just somehow working on it together as we do that. The purpose is not to, pr not to prove who is right. The purpose is not to do that. Oh, excuse me, I left one thing out, and we can't miss this one. I also have to be mature enough to change. And you're saying, yeah, that person with the sin I'm going to see, they've got to be mature enough to, to change. That's right. And if I'm the confronter, so do I. I've got to be mature enough to change, to confront, when I don't like confrontation, and I've got to be mature enough to change to maybe even find out I had misunderstood or misconstrued what was going on. So both sides have to be mature in what's happening if we're going to handle this the way that Jesus has asked us to do it. And then understand the purpose is not to prove who is right. That's not why we're there. Now, we may have a pretty strong feeling. I mean, I wouldn't be there if I didn't believe in what was right. And they wouldn't maybe sometimes do what they do because they didn't think it was right. Sometimes they do, but not always. And so somehow we've got to have that conversation. And I'm not there to say you're, you're wrong or you're right. Maybe it's to change. Maybe it is to look at Scripture together and decide what God wants us to do. Maybe that's what it is. But somehow we've got to be mature enough to go through that process and remember that what we're doing is we are trying to find unity in the body, or we might say unity of the body, because we keep the body together. Now you just think about how many conflicts in life would have been resolved if there could have been this first one-on-one -on -one or two or three-on-one, -on -one, and if that would have happened. Think about how many marriages that might be together today that aren't. Think about how many countries that might be together today if, but aren't. Think about all the disputes in the world if somebody would have just done what Barney Five said on Andy Griffith's show years ago, nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. Y'all remember when he said that? Some of you watched that, right? Nip it. Sometimes what we need to do is just nip it in the bud. And instead we let it grow, in, we let it grow into a forest. And now we have a problem, a big problem. 
And so we nip those things in the bud. Understand, I'm trying to gain understanding and avoid embarrassment. And so that's why we do this to the side. So that it doesn't embarrass that individual who I may be wrong about in the first place. I may be dead on, but I may be wrong about something I don't understand. And I'm trying to understand why they do what they do. And so whenever I go alone or with two or three, I'm understanding, oh, well, you know what I thought was happening? Do you know what I heard? And they're, But that wasn't right. And so it's for them to get understanding, and me of them, and it's also to stop them from embarrassment, but it also stops me from being embarrassed because if I go around and tell everybody something, or if I blow my top about something and then I find out I'm the wrong one, then that can be embarrassing to me. So... This helps both sides to do what Jesus encouraged us to do. And understand, I do this because I love. Because I love them. And it may be that if you have been offended, if you have been hurt by something, it may be that you're, you are so mad you're not ready to talk to them. You may need to pray and, and meditate and breathe deeply for three or four weeks before you ever go and talk to them. Because it just gets right through you, right? There are issues that get us all sometimes. And we're not ready to do that talking. And so we have to wait on that. Now let me say this. If there is some type of fear of violence that could happen in a one-on-one situation, then, then that could be in a different category where you may need a professional in the room or someone there. But what I'm talking about is our typical situations of what we usually deal with but we go because we love the other person. Not because we want to prove we're right. We want the church to know. We want everybody to know I'm right. It's not what it's about. Heard an interesting story, read an interesting story the other day about Shannon Etheridge. When Shannon Etheridge was a 16-year-old, she got a car. She lived out in the country, rural. She got a car, and she was driving to school one morning. And she probably, it appears, was driving too fast, driving a little recklessly, not paying attention. Not only what teenagers do sometimes, but adults do sometimes. Well, there there was a woman named Marjorie Jarsfer. That was an adult. And she was riding her bike, exercising that morning on one of those rural roads when Shannon came around the corner. And Shannon Etheridge ran over Marjorie killed her well Shannon was so upset she was distraught she didn't mean to do it although she did do it she felt horrible about herself she considered suicide a couple of times she was she was heartbroken at what she had done but the authorities said she was wrong and culpable on every count well Marjorie's husband Jerry He told the court and the judge, or or the attorney, he said, I want you to drop the charges against Shannon. And he said to Shannon, he said, Shannon, you can't have your life ruined by this. We don't need another life ruined by all this. He said, I'm dropping the charges, and this is what I ask. I ask that you walk in the Christian steps that my wife Marjorie was walking in. That was it. 
Well, Shannon Etheridge went on to write, become a Christian author. She wrote Every, girl's ba- Every Young Girl's Battle. She wrote Every Woman's Battle that deal with sexuality in females. Our teens have used that book in the past. Probably some of you have read those books. There, there are ones that accompany that called Every Young Man's Battle and Every Man's Battle as well that, that a male author wrote. She has helped thousands and thousands of women, which in turn helped men and children, because of the grace that she was shown. Now, if Marjorie's husband would have decided to prosecute, we would all understand that. He had the right to do that. We would have understood it. We would have loved him and, and, and would have gotten why he did what he did. However, he chose something even more noble, it appears, that certainly worked out helping more people than if she would have just lost what she had. So you're probably like me right now. You don't like doing this kind of thing. And you're saying, okay, I know, because we all think about somebody we got something with, because we all do, because we're human. So how do I do it? How do I do this? How do I go and confront someone Well, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, and we get it from Jesus' mouth again, from him, from he himself. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a great scripture, right? And he's saying, think about what you are dealing with whenever you are dealing with someone else. But I also warn you here, do not use this verse as an excuse to not talk to someone, but to talk to everybody else. Do not use this verse as an excuse to not talk to the person, but tell the elders or the deacons or the preachers or whoever. And also understand, we all have planks in our eyes. And we are never going to get rid of all of them. It's part of being human. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all do sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all got them. Something I've shared with you before that I try to do when I've confronted people on different things, is I have tried every time to say, I want to talk about the speck in your eye for a moment. And I want you to know that I'm aware that there are telephone poles sticking out of my eye. And after we talk about this, you can talk about my telephone poles. Well, I've never had someone follow up that conversation with, let's do it now. Now I tell you that you're going to do it, I know. But I've never had anybody follow up with that right then. But we have to understand that when we are dealing with other people and we are pointing out their problems, that we also are struggling with issues, no no matter how pure we are, no matter how kind we are, no matter how often we go to church or how good the cookies are we bake. We all have issues that we deal with. So when I go to someone to, to confront them, I have to go humbly. I have to go humbly realizing that that I've got things I'm dealing with. I remember my own frailties. 
And I think I know them all, but I'm guessing that if we had a secret ballot or maybe even one you could put your name on, you would tell me some more of my frailties I didn't know about. We all have frailties, and we should be cognizant of that when we confront someone else. And I need to be prepared to change on other issues as well. I need to realize, first of all, I may not have understood what the other person was saying or doing. I may not know what the background is that led to what they did or why they said or did what they did. I may not. And so I've got to learn maybe to change my response or change the way I treat them or whatever it is. But I also may realize that there are other things they're going to bring up. They're going to bring up some of those telephone poles. And so I've got to be ready to change and say, okay, you're right. I'm not doing right. But always when we encounter people we deal with, be cautious. Now, what you see on your screen right now is part of a meme that has gone around for a long time. Actually, I think I borrowed this from Martha McGinty's Facebook page, the part that I have there. It's a bigger thing than this. But you can see up there at the top this needlework that is done so perfectly and beautifully and person looks so good you know they wear the right clothes and they come in smiling and they tell the best jokes and they're so good at their job and they go to church and I mean they've got it all they've got they've got uh, two kids a boy and a girl and and a spouse and they, you just say boy don't they have it all but what you don't know is what the inside looks like and the inside is a mess And so when you start pulling on those threads on the front, you don't know what's happening on the other side. Be very, very cautious and delicate when you confront another person. Because we just don't know. I'm committed to love even if we don't agree. My love has to be unconditional as a Christian. My love doesn't stop because you disagree with me about a doctrinal issue or a sin issue or whatever it is. My love keeps going, even when we can't see eye to eye on something. And I may need to change, even if I'm not sinning. Whoa, what are you talking about there, David? Well, why would I change if I'm not sinning? If what I'm doing is perfectly right and I have the right to do what I say and you can't tell me, why would I change? Because of unity? Because people are worth more than any of my preferences. That's a tough one, right? It's because of unity of the body. There are times, and the elders can tell you this, that... that that I propose something to the elders and I have some great idea and, and ones that I truly believe in, and they say, no. Well, I have the right to do it. It's certainly not sinful what I'm talking about. This is something that's for the good. And they say, it's not good right now. It's not good right now. And it may never be good for us, no. And I say, but. But for the unity of the body, I say, okay. And I'll try this again in a few months. Not really. But okay, because for the unity of the body, we stay together. 
Because no matter what I think, you are more important to me than my preferences. Because I love you. It doesn't mean I agree with you necessarily, but I love you. And I, I love you in Jesus, and I want us to be one. And because I love Jesus, I love you, and I want us to be one. So finally, we get to Matthew 18, the end here, 18 through 20, the end of this little passage. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Well, I want you to understand something. You know this passage well. You have heard this passage a thousand times, probably, if you are a church-going person. And this is often this part, well, where we don't have many tonight, but where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I also. You've heard that. You might have said it. I'm sure I've said it. It's a scripture, you, it is the scripture you quote when, when there aren't many people who showed up for worship. It's the scripture you quote on Super Bowl Sunday night. You know, it's that kind of thing, right? Well, there aren't too many here tonight, but where two or three are gathered together, there is the Lord too. Let me tell you this, this passage is not about worship. This passage has nothing to do with worship. Now, if you want to apply it to worship, it's true, Jesus is there, if two or three of us are there. But did you know? If you are the only one that shows up, Jesus is also there. So it doesn't mean you've got to have two to have a quorum to have Jesus come. He is always there. When you are in your car driving all the way from Brenham or wherever it is to come to church and you find out that they have canceled and you are the only one there, he is still with you. He was with you in the car the whole way. And he'll be with you when you go home. So it is not just whenever you come together, two or three are together. That is not the context of this passage. What he's saying is God is with us in conflict resolution. That's what he's saying. So when you're there and you're working through this, I'm with you. I'm there. Well, wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. God's spirit is there. God is there. He's not abandoned us in the middle of that. It's not like we are walking through that alone. He's there. He's promised it. And he said it. And he is. There's an old uh, author by the name of, uh, writer by the name of Gordon MacDonald, who he interviewed Dr. Paul and Edith Reese. And they had done a, a lot of stuff in Christian marriage counseling. And, and Paul and Edith, were both 90 years old when Gordon MacDonald interviewed them. And they had been married for more than 60 years when MacDonald interviewed Paul. And so Gordon MacDonald said to Paul, the 90-year-old man, so tell me, do you and Edith ever fight still? Paul says, oh yeah, we fight. Just had one yesterday. He said, really? Well, tell me, what, what were you fighting about? Can you tell me? He goes, yeah. He said, well, Edith was driving, which could be a little bit scary right there. Edith was driving, and she blew right through a stop sign and scared me to death. And McDonald said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I knew what not to do. He said, Edith's father was a very stern man. And he often raised his voice. And any time a man raises his voice, she just wilts and she gets depressed. 
when she hears a man raise his voice toward her. And McDonald said, you mean nearly 80 years ago that occurred and that is still bothering her? He said, actually, it bothers her more today, even than it did a few years ago. And so he said, I know that if I would have blown up or raised my voice, it, was, it would be catastrophic. And so McDonald said, so what did you do? He said, well, and I'm sure <laughs> probably hold on, but he said, I said, Edith, this afternoon after we get up from our nap, I have a thought for you. And she said, okay. And so they go home and they have their nap and then they wake up. And he says, Edith, and then he shares, don't know if you knew it, but you ran our stop sign today and it scared me. He said, we resolved that whole thing and everything was fine. Well, maybe that happens after 60 years of marriage, you figure everything out. I don't know. But learning how to handle conflict resolution is important. I learned by having two daughters that, boy, did they respond to in different ways. It didn't always work the same way. What I'm about to tell you, I have said to my daughters a thousand times, so I'm not sharing something I shouldn't. When Emma was upstairs, we have a two-story house, if I'm at breakfast and I hear Emma yell or scream, I am running up those stairs as fast as I can to help her. She doesn't, she's just not a yeller and a screamer. If Anna Beth, in her room, yells or screams, I keep eating my cornflakes. <laughs> it means that she, like, dropped her brush or something. <laughs> That's all it means. We respond in different ways. Conflict is sometimes handled in different ways. So this is my question for you this morning. Am I committed to Jesus above all? Because if I'm committed to Jesus, then I'm committed to getting along with you. If I'm committed to Jesus, I'm committed to unity of the body. I can't control you, but I can control my thoughts and my actions. If I love Jesus above all, I will sometimes, if it is not sinful, I will sometimes do things I don't necessarily want to do because I love you. And so I will do that. I love you. Do I love Jesus above everything? Maybe today some of us need to be baptized into Jesus and say, Lord, you are everything to me. You are. And he will take away all those sins. Then it's place we receive the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. We, we get to be in his kingdom. We get to be a part of him. He's with us all the time. And for others of us, oh, we know we sinned on this one. We all have, haven't we? Me too. And we need prayers. Maybe it's private prayers. Maybe it's to write to elders at mcoc.org and say, please pray for me. Maybe it's to come down here front and say, pray for me. Whatever it is, we want to be one with God. Come this morning as we stand and sing.